0: Good evening. Welcome to the African Defense Review. I'm Richard Stupart, and we're in the studio tonight with Judith Jacob, a terrorism analyst from London and Conway Waddington, our West African consultant. Tonight we're looking at the question of Boko Haram rising in the media at the moment after particularly events in Baga in Nigeria. Uh, welcome to the show, guys.
1: Great, thanks. Great. Nice to hear from
0: you, Richard. So the first question I'd like to put to you guys, uh, maybe Judith, to start is that A lot of the profiles of Boko Haram that we've come across or you'll see in the media typically refer to the group's politics via the definition of their name as Western education is forbidden. The group clearly, though, seems to be a lot more than a bunch of concerned parents who dislike educational policy in Nigeria. So what do we actually know about the ideology of the group?
1: I think that to begin with, um, there is, compared to other... um, more well-established organizations, let's say Al-Qaeda or uh, any of the other uh, Islamist groups operating in South Asia or the MENA regions, less of an emphasis on ideological purity and uh, development of fitna and all of those concepts. So it's really hard, I suppose, to pin down an exact definition of what what their aims may be. I mean you can look at it in terms of sort of territorial control and the establishment of a state based on general uh, Salafi jihadist lines, um, general Islamic fundamentalist lines, but nowhere near the sort of uh, declarative fury sort of ideologies that you would see in um, groups with a longer history, I suppose, of engagement with uh, Islamic uh, with political Islam.
0: Conroy, would you add anything to that?
1: Uh, it's
2: pretty much spot on. Uh, I, I, I think possibly it's worth mentioning also that that Boko Haram, um, aside from its its Salafist jihadist sort of credentials, um, it's also taken advantage of um, long standing uh, disputes between the north and and the government. Um, it it also appeals to uh, potential recruits along um, ethnic lines, uh, so so it it absolutely is not as as easy as saying it's just another jihadist group because it, it's far more complex than that.
0: And so, has the group been making demands for for things like an autonomous region in the north, for example?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- there was an enormous amount of attention paid recently to. Um, Supposed Boko Haram statements along the lines of um, declaring a, a caliphate, just as the Islamic State had done. Um, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not they actually, or, uh, whether or not Abu Bakr Shekau actually made that announcement. Um, if he if he was specifically referring to the kind of uh, caliphate that i uh, that the IS is trying to, to achieve, or if he was just sort of you know, gesturing in that direction. But definitely Boko Haram has been trying for a long time to carve out territory uh, in the northeast of
0: Nigeria. And then Boko Haram's been unusually effective in driving the Nigerian army back from a a lot of the areas in the north, it appears, Um, both in terms of pushing them out of or um, showing them unable to defend many local villages, but also in a couple of cases just outright overrunning Nigerian military bases. Um, How is it that a a group like uh, Boko Haram is succeeding to that degree against an army that one would really expect would be better able to, if not wage an effective counter-terror campaign, at least to defend their own bases against um, a bunch of rebels?
1: I think first and foremost, you have to kind of look at the levels of training and uh, relative Uh, access to equipment that a lot of these, um, forces have in the Northeast. And like to say that they're a little shit is, um, (laughs) I suppose, uh, a more accurate description of, 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 the state of affairs there. Um, but I think also in terms of commitment to holding that territory, like you've noticed in the past few weeks that they've not only just attacked Nigerian bases, but they've attacked the bases that are manned by, um, Uh, More like with not necessarily international, but uh, other African forces are in those bases as well. And if you're a Cameroonian soldier and you see in advance of hundreds of men at you, you're not particularly well trained, you're not particularly well equipped, what's the incentive for you to stay and defend that area? Um, you're probably
0: just going to up and leave. Conway, I know you, were, you spoke in the last podcast a little bit about that that multinational base that, that got overran. This happened just before the attack on Baga, is that correct?
2: Well, this is where it all starts to get a little bit hazy. Uh, the base in question was the the um, Niger Delta jo- Joint Task Force base. Um, it's it's unclear how well-staffed that base was, Um Troops from Niger. There were supposed to be about forty of them. I saw in one report. Uh, other reports said that they they abandoned that mission long ago. Um, but aside from that, the, the I think Judith raised an interesting point about that. Um, it does come down very much to uh, the troops that are in position defending a town, or or set up in a roadblock somewhere, or or in one of those joint bases. Um, they. they they're surrounded by an awful lot of nothing um you know the, the the sort of logistic support available to those troops is is minimal at best um yeah i absolutely agree that they are more than likely going to run away because well that that's pretty much their only real choice um there have been countless reports of when nigerian forces have actually made a stand um they've then at least they they've claimed that they only ran away once they ran out of ammunition um which is logistically at least entirely possible
0: and i know so earlier last year i believe it was we were both at urus looking at a very large armored vehicle that nigeria apparently used to have a number of before boko haram took them away which was interesting so what what kind of uh, weapons and, and things is boko haram actually armed with so what have they been taking away from from the nigerian government
2: well that vehicle we were standing in front of if i remember correctly was um an Ottercar car uh, armored vehicle uh, Boko Haram has seized a number of those sorts of vehicles, they've seized a couple of tracked APCs as well, some of the stayers, which uh, uh, often get get confused with um, with US style M113 personnel carriers, um, they've been able to seize some heavy weapons and, and this is where you need to be careful. Um, I rant and rave about this fairly regularly. Um, you'll see in, in media reports talks of Boko Haram having anti-aircraft capabilities. Uh, what that usually means is they've captured a couple of usually Soviet-style heavy machine guns um, that can be mounted on tripods and can be pointed at the sky and used as rudimentary anti-aircraft guns. Um, you know They're not going to be shooting down passenger airlines with them, but they do make for very effective um, weapons, Mounted on the back of a of a of a Toyota Hilux, um, so they ca- they have those sorts of capabilities. Um, the thing of it is, any any heavier weaponry would re- would require log- logistical support. Um, they'd need you know regular maintenance, uh, fuel if it's if it's a vehicle. They would need um, heavy ammunition. Uh, which means transporting that ammunition, and that's just not the kind of thing you'd expect to see with a with a um, a rebel force, you know, a fast moving insurgent force.
0: Now, in terms of the things that, that Boko Haram has and and the the assets in their possession, Judith, how far? Is Boko Haram networked with, for example, other militias in the region? How far are they perhaps being supplied from other Islamic militias throughout that area of Africa? Or are they really just a a, a kind of local phenomenon specific to Nigeria that, to put it frivolously, they may not socialize as much with the other people in the neighborhood?
1: Um, I think it's a hard one to estimate, mainly because obviously terrorism being a clandestine activity, nobody's demanding a quarterly disclosure of assets, right? Um, So you have to sort of look at it in terms of who have they been seen to pledge allegiance to, are they making overtures, are they not making overtures, that sort of thing. And given the haze that's surrounded by their pledge to the Islamic State, I would argue that that pledge doesn't really, they they haven't actually pledged by it, in my opinion. Um, It's like a really overhyped phenomenon. Abu Bakr Shikau in most of his videos seems to say nice things about just about anybody who's a jihadist, be it Al-Qaeda or IS, so um, I don't think in terms of without a direct pledge where he comes out and he says that Abu Bakr Bashir is the caliph, he's probably not going to get any weapons or any training or anything else for that matter. And even if that was the case, even if he had made that pledge, given all of the more closely affiliated groups with Islamic State in the Middle East itself, they haven't been getting that much in terms of actual weaponry, to my knowledge. Um, I mean, a case in point is in Egypt, Ansar Jerusalem, which pledged allegiance in November. Uh, there hasn't been a change in terms of its targeting pattern or um, uh, weapon or. Or weaponry available to it as far as I can tell at least so I I assume that like way further away you know thousands and thousands of kilometers further away uh Boko Haram isn't getting all that much uh from the uh Middle Eastern uh, base groups
0: and related to that Judith so if I mean if Boko Haram is to be understood mostly as rhetorical in its connections to other other Islamic groups how much is it useful to think of Boko Haram in terms of the lens of Islamic fundamentalism, and how much is it perhaps use, useful to think of them in terms of just being a rebel group with with political grievances in a state that they've been marginalized in?
1: I think, to like the religious element is important, especially given the uh, re- religious and ethnic tensions that permeate Nigerian political discourse. Like, you can't discount that, and a, and especially this very particular brand of Islam. Um, that Boko Haram seems to want to promote within the areas that it controls so I don't think it can be totally discounted from the global jihadist narrative but I don't think that it is in any way helpful to conflate them with what's happening in Syria and Iraq and the rest of it right now um, I don't think it's ever had the same levels of closeness um, that uh, people assumed it did with uh, al-Qaeda during its heyday or islamic state right now for that matter uh the closest ties i can possibly think of would have would maybe uh aqim when it was a more cohesive network in mali and across the sahel but even then it's like honestly since 2011 aqim has been so fractured it's not really much of a thing anymore
0: and now moving back to the specifics of the last few days and the massacre that, that's happened in baga there have been a lot of circumstantial reports and, and, and apparent uncertainty over how many people were killed and what exactly happened. Conway, how much do we actually reasonably know of, of what occurred in Bargo?
2: Well, I've spent the last couple of days trying desperately to track down uh, the origin of, of that figure of 2,000 people killed. Um, uh, the, the, the general message being made about that, uh, of being broadcast about that, is that 2,000 people killed in a single attack would, would be the biggest um, death toll, the most dramatic death toll in, in Boko Haram's campaign so far. Um, and th- that's fine, that, that's perfectly accurate, uh, but I question the, the actual casualty count. Um, there, there are reports from Amnesty International suggesting up to 2,000 people may have been killed. Um, but of course we're not getting any, any sort of verification from either the uh, Nigerian military, Nigerian um, sort of regional administrators um, we're not getting anything from local media or when we do it's generally either a, a, a repetition of the 2000 casualty figure or as also seems to happen quite often um, massive massive uh, exaggeration of the casualties um, really really sort of dramatic stories of people being able to walk all the way to the the edge of lake chad on the bodies of of people caught um, by boko haram I don't know. I don't know for sure how many people have been killed. I don't think we will ever know because um, Of course by now many of those people will have been buried. They simply won't ever be counted Um, but It definitely sounds like something particularly dramatic has happened Um, and Perhaps that's what we should focus on instead—not not necessarily the number, but it definitely seems to have been quite dramatic.
0: Is there any indication as to what the motivation for the attack was? Was it an attempt to conquer the town, just to terrorise, or uh, they were passing through? I mean, wh- why why did Bakrham target Baga?
1: Honestly, I don't know. From a like uh, from a strategic perspective, um, I wish I was privy to whatever Shikawa and his mates were really thinking, I would make a lot more money that way. But um, failing that, I would say that in general, staging a very dramatic attack in the lead-up to the elections is a very good way to signal to the uh, surrounding population and more so the people down in the south that your government has no real control of its territory and has no means of protecting you. I think that the if it if it's aiming to show and discredit the government, um, it clearly is doing a good job of that.
2: Yeah, that that's definitely the sort of the, the thinking that seems to underscore Boko Haram's strategy. Um, I think it's possibly worth mentioning now also that that while this attack is getting all of the attention, um, over the last sort of three days, two days, um, there've been a series of suicide bombings uh, in Patiskum and in um, Madugari um, that are. Maybe not not as dramatic in terms of potential casualties, um, but possibly they should have been getting more attention because it seems like uh, these have been more suicide attacks uh, using small children to carry the bombs. Um, some witness reports are suggesting ten-year-olds were the were the bomb carriers. Um, and it seems to me that this, this is this is a continuation of what Boko Haram was doing last year, where they 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 appear to be engaged in this sort of protracted, high tempo series of raids on villages and towns in the northeast, um, and then they sort of punctuate that with with these sporadic bombing attacks on on the bigger cities in Madugari, uh, in Jos when they can, even in Abuja.
0: And, and so, in terms of it's certainly Nigeria's upcoming elections. Judith, you'd indicated earlier that Boko Haram should be understood in in place of the kind of broader dynamics that that structure Nigerian um, politics, particularly, for example, the North-South fracture. Does Boko Haram have a particular interest in or preferred outcome to the current elections? What is their their role in these kind of attacks? What are they trying to get out of um, the political process?
1: I think to discredit it entirely and to um, either scare people into not participating, um, to... Perhaps uh, if it is in some back channels that we don't know about and some factions maybe trying to negotiate for um, sort of not necessarily a settlement, but to be left alone in the areas that it controls from the government, perhaps Um, we really don't know what sort of negotiations or lack thereof that may be happening. I. I think that the actually one of the more hilarious things to come out of the um, election debate in the last few weeks has been reports in like not particularly reputable uh, uh, sections of the Nigerian press where uh, there'll be statements allegedly from Abu Bakr, Bish- uh, Abu Bakr, Bishkao going um, saying that he endorses particular candidates. Um, and these are almost uniformly put out by. Um, opponents of that particular camp trying to discredit them so it's hilarious how um that dynamic is also feeding into the like run-of-the-mill election propaganda
0: are there are there other politicians in, in certainly for the running up for the elections uniformly opposed to Barcaramo? Are there? indications that any of the, the groups or uh, parliamentarians and that are collaborating with the group i know certainly a year or so ago there were allegations that that certain members of parliament may be supporting uh, the group financially or, or otherwise
2: as as judith was saying that this this is this is sort of part and parcel of of the the pre-election um gameplay that seems to go on um everybody has been accused of of being uh if not directly supporting Boko Haram, then at least, you know, sort of tacitly supporting them. Um, and, and there's no reason to believe that anyone necessarily is, and certainly no one's going to admit any kind of support for Boko Haram. Um, that would be political suicide. Um, generally speaking, I don't think anyone would actually particularly want to see Boko Haram do any better, because, um, well, l- let's face it, if if, uh, if something dramatic happened in these elections and... and um, uh, the PDP lost lost uh, power. Um, whoever takes over the APC in this case uh, would, would would still have to deal with Boko Haram. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one of those things. Boko Haram is, is proving to be a very useful political tool, uh, but mainly in terms of you know just just trying to suggest that the opposition is somehow um, is somehow supporting them.
0: And then I, without asking you guys to pull out a crystal ball and predict what will happen in the next few months. What do you think are going to at least be some of the, the key things that certainly the Nigerian security establishment and, and political leaders generally, what do you think are going to be some of the things that they're going to have to seriously think about or consider in, in how they're going to, to deal with the group or how they're going to move forward after after Baga and as things presumably are going to become more tense?
1: I actually have a fairly bleak outlook. I don't think that anything will be done Substantively, there'll be a lot of posturing about, oh, we've increased troop deployments, the curfews are in place, the state of emergency is there. There'll be a lot of that, but as for actual substantive policy changes until the elections are over, I don't think you'll see anything.
2: Yeah, yeah. agreed. Um, it, it, it's always possible that there'll be another reshuffling of the high command, which uh, has happened a couple of times over the last couple of years. Uh, and usually that then gets gestured to as, well, this is a new start, Uh, now we're really going to beat them, and, of course, that doesn't happen. Um, The other thing is I see Nigeria spending an awful lot of money buying a lot of new equipment, um, or, or, as the case may be, not buying certain equipment that was attributed to them, but that's another ADR uh, issue. Um, I don't think that more weapons or even policy changes you know, those sort of short-term policy changes are necessarily going to be any good in in combating Boko Haram anyway. Um, You know, clearly, whatever Nigeria is, whatever the Nigerian military is attempting to do now with just firepower is not enough. Um, And I don't think that even increasing the amount
0: of firepower they bring to bear on Boko Haram is necessarily going to to help at all. And then as a a final note, I mean, Boko Haram is a a thing that Many audiences are not particularly familiar with, other than the kind of bare bones outlines. Is there anything either of you would would highlight or would draw attention to that you don't think is enough appreciated or is not known about the about the organisation?
2: Well, off, off the top of my head, I guess part of it would be something that I, I, I sort of alluded to earlier: um, the complexity of the group. It's it's not just as simple as this is a jihadist group, which which seems to be, a, or or a, a Salafist group which seems to be a lot of people's gut response to them. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that, that as long as Nigeria has the sort of political and economic um, vulnerabilities that it does have in terms of um, you know, the massive inequality in the country, um, the the political culture of patronage and and winner takes all. As long as those vulnerabilities are in place, groups like Boko Haram or um, or mend down in in the south um, will always have some appeal. They will always be able to recruit at least some people to their cause. And so, if if not Boko Haram, there will be another threat that Nigeria has to face of the sort. Um, so so it, it's. It's that old sort of chestnut of winning, winning this sort of counterinsurgency is is not just about beating or um, neutralising this particular enemy. It's about it's about relieving whatever underlying tensions have caused the the conflict in the first place.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think to add on to that, definitely, uh, I think to highlight the complexities of. The global jihadist network and to particularly emphasize that people should recognize that despite al-qaeda or is's claims to be representative of a global jihad or a global movement that encompasses everybody from east to west it's they're all actually like mega racist and mega um like discriminatory in terms of the hierarchies um established within that within that framework so if you are a sub-Saharan African group, chances are you will be looked down upon massively by um, groups uh, groups that are primarily formed again, uh, around Arabic identities. Uh, so that's, that's an old chestnut um, that sort of, I guess, defines African relations uh, vis-a-vis most other parts of the world, really. and. Uh, on top of that, I think that what's an issue that gets underplayed massively right now is that while we talk about the girls who were taken in, um, in April, and that still hasn't been resolved, the prevalence of female suicide bombers um, in, the months, uh, in the months after that in 2014 and currently, like, these aren't women who are... You know, for better or for worse, actively consenting to participate in the suicide bombing campaign, like you would see in the in the North Caucasus with um, the Black Widows of the Caucasus Emirate, these are these are young girls, and it's not, uh, and consent is not it's not really an issue there.
0: Thank you both of you um, for your time, and yeah, um, as things develop, perhaps we will see you back here again. Sadly, to discuss um, whatever it is that that happens next in the area. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thanks. This has been another episode of the African Defence Review Podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love to have you subscribe to our iTunes podcast or come onto the website at www.africandefense.net.